The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Today's reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's 2 Samuel chapter 23. Please stand as we read God's word. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we come to God's word together. Father, in the last words of David, you gave him a word from your spirit, an oracle, that those who rule justly, who rule in the fear of God, are like the light of the morning dawn, the sunshine breaking forth to end the night. They're like the rain that falls on the earth and causes the grass to sprout up. And Lord Jesus, as we hear your voice and hear your word this morning and submit to your rule over us, I ask that your words would shine upon us like the morning light, that they would fall upon us like the gentle rain, and that we would know your life because of it. For we ask it in your precious and powerful name, the name of Jesus, the Son of God, Amen. Well, God's Spirit saw fit that we heard that memorial of all those names this Sunday. And we're going to hear that memorial of all those names again next Sunday. We'll consider David's mighty men. But this Sunday, we want to consider the last words of David. And that's how this passage, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 23, is introduced. They are the last words of David. David wanted these words to be preserved. He wanted future generations to hear these words. He wanted us today, on August 30th, 2020, to hear these words. They're the last words of David. And we need to remember that in the context of 2 Samuel, these words come immediately following David's long song of praise and thanksgiving, which we heard last week. And there was, uh, there's an exuberance in that song. David can't contain himself. We see there his love for God. We see there how much he rejoices in God. He knows God, and he can't help but sing 
his praises. He can't help but give thanks. And remember what David says about God last week. And Pastor Joe emphasized this. We need to know the God that David knew. And David says of God that he is my rock. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior, my lamp. This is who God is. David knew it. He's the God who hears our prayers. He's the God that comes low. He's the God who's moved by our affliction. He sees our suffering and he moves heaven and earth to rescue us, to redeem us. David knew it. He experienced it. And then at the end of his life, a life lived in faith to that God, a life lived with that God, he leaves us these final words. And the way that he introduces them, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's just a summary of what we just heard in chapter 22. He's just summarizing what God had done in his life. I'm the son of Jesse. I come from humble origins. Remember, I was the eighth son. When my father was bringing out the sons to Samuel to see who the anointed one was, he didn't even call me. I wasn't even there. Remember my humble origins, but God took me from from the flock. He took me from the fields. He raised me on high. He's the one who lifted me up. He's the one who anointed me. He's the one who made me king. But notice that as he's reflecting on his life, he doesn't want to be remembered as the king of Israel. He doesn't want to be remembered as the mighty and great warrior of Israel. He wants to be remembered as the sweet psalmist of Israel. As he looks back on his life, he says, that's who I was. I was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And there's a reason why he wanted to be remembered as that, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Because, as he says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. My songs that I wrote, my songs that I sing, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are on my tongue. And then he introduces what he has to say as an oracle. This is the oracle of David, these last words. And an oracle is, is divine speech. An oracle is a divinely given word of prophecy. And what he gives us in these last words is a word of prophecy. He says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel said to me. This is what he said to me. Now I am speaking to you what he said. It's an oracle. It's a prophetic word of God. And we see that oracle in the second part of verse 3 and verse 4. It's short. And what God gave David to say as his last words is an announcement of the blessing of just rule and of rule in the fear of God. That's the final word that God gave to David to give to us. The blessing of just rule, of rule in the fear of God. And that's simply what I want us to consider this morning. The blessing of godly rulers, the blessing of those who rule in the fear of God. And we have to ask the question, do we know this blessing? Do we know the blessing of ruling and living justly in the fear of God? Do we know that blessing? So let's hear again verse, verses 3 and 4. The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of it. Israel has said to me, 
when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. He is like the morning light, like the sunrise, like the dawn, at the end of a long, dark night. Now, kids, how many of you are scared of the dark? How many of you are afraid of the dark? That's a natural fear. You know, sometimes I'll be late here at church, and I'll turn off all the lights, but then I have to make my way out to the car, and I go through these back hallways, and it's pitch black. I'm a little scared. I've got my phone out, and I try to, you know, guide my way with that light. It's natural to be afraid of the dark. And David himself, he he knew what darkness was. Remember that David was a shepherd. And you may be afraid, kids, of the darkness in your room as you're going to bed at night. You know, you need the door open, the hallway light on. But, you know, it's even... It's even scarier when you're outside at night, in the darkness of night outside. Now, David was a shepherd. Remember, he spent his early life as a shepherd. He also spent many, many days, years, in fact, in the wilderness outside. He knew long, dark nights. And as a shepherd, he would keep watch over his flocks by night in the darkness because the darkness of night was a dangerous time. It'd get very cold at night, but it was dangerous because that's when the predators came out. That's when lions and bears and wolves came out to stalk the sheep. It's also when the thieves came out to steal the sheep. So nighttime for David was a time where he was on watch and he knew the threats. But for both the sheep and the shepherd, you know, the the light of dawn the morning light, the sunshine, the sun coming over the horizon. And David lived closer to the equator than we do, so we kind of have a longer morning twilight and a nice sunrise. But when you live close to the equator, it's very fast. It's dark and then it's light. The sun pops up. And when that sun came up over the horizon, it came as a great relief to the sheep. It came as a great relief to the shepherd. We made it through another night. All the sheep are with me. Now, sheep are are nervous creatures. You know, they're easily spooked. And the sheep are listening, and they can hear the rustle in the leaves. Is that a wolf stalking us, creeping up? But sheep will feel safe, and they'll feel secure as long as they know that the shepherd is with them. You know, they hear his voice, his reassuring voice in the night. They feel his staff. I'm here. It's okay. The sheep will be at peace, and they can sleep. They can rest at night knowing that. Now, this is what God says about those who rule justly in the fear of God. They're like this. They're like the shepherd who's with his sheep at night, even in the darkness. For the sheep, that, their shepherd is like, he's like the morning light, even in the darkness. And God is saying through David here, that's what just rule is like. That's what those who rule in the fear of God is like. They're like the morning dawn, the sunshine, reassuring you, giving you the assurance, the knowledge that you're safe, you're okay. But then notice what else David says. It's also like the rain, the rule of the just, the rule of those who fear the God is like the rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. 
No, David as a shepherd, he would lead his sheep to green pasture. That's what shepherds do. They move their sheep from place to place so they have food, so they can be fed to green pasture. And you don't have green grass if you don't have rain. Remember earlier this summer, we didn't have a lot of rain. And out behind my house, there's a big field, and it was, it was yellow and brown, except for the weeds, of course. They're all nice and green. But then, you know, in late July, we got lots of rain, and sure enough, after a few days, everything is green again. And in my own front yard, I, I kind of let it go a bit this year, and so there was a good chunk of it. There was weeds and crabgrass and things growing. So last weekend, I uprooted the weeds, and I spread out some nice new topsoil there, and then I scattered some grass seed, raked it all in. And then every day this week, in the morning before I leave, in the evening when I get home at night, I go out there with my hose and water the dirt. And every day this week, that's what I was doing. I was just watering the dirt until Friday morning. And all of a sudden, you could look real close, and there's these little skinny green shoots coming up out of the ground. And then yesterday morning, even more. This morning, even more. Now, those grass seeds were dead and buried. But with water, they, they came to life and they sprouted up. Well, that's what David and what God through David is saying about those who rule justly. Those who rule in the fear of God. They're like that water. They're like the rain that comes down. It brings forth light. And so the blessing of godly rule, the blessing of godly rule is light and it's life. Light and life. People will know light and all of the security of that morning dawn. And they will have life. Now David leaves this as his final word and testament for future generations. He is saying to future generations, and God has given this word to him through the Spirit, for future generations to want to be such rulers. You know, he's thinking, David's thinking of his own sons. Sons, when you reign, when you're, when you're king, be a just ruler in the fear of God. Because then the people of Israel will know the blessing of the light and the life of your rule. So yes, he is, he is speaking to those future rulers. And yes, this is a word for anybody who's in a position of leadership today. Rule justly, rule in the fear of God. You will be light. You will be life to those you rule. That's true. It's true even to us in our own lives. If we live, if we walk in, in the fear of God, if we live and walk justly, we will know the light and the life of God, and we will be that, that light and that life to others. So it's true. It applies to us. But we need to take very seriously what David says here, that this is an oracle. It's a word of prophecy. And David isn't just giving a word of instruction and encouragement and inspiration to those who would come after us or to us. This is a word of prophecy that points forward to the one who does and will rule justly, who rules in the fear of God. It points to Christ. He's this king. It points to him as the ruler. It points to the blessings of his kingdom. In the kingdom of Christ, there is light. There is life. Now, what David says here, looking forward to the rule and the reign of Christ, is echoed in the prophet Isaiah. And we need to hear this and listen for the same language about justice and the, and the fear of God. So Isaiah chapter 11, this is verses 1 to 4. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one. This points to Christ. There shall come forth from the stump of Jesse 
and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Notice that's emphasized. The the delight of Jesus is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor. With righteousness. That means according to God's law, according to God's word. That is the standard of justice. He's not going to judge by what he sees or what he hears. He will judge in terms of God's law. In righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. David, in this final oracle, in these last words, God, through David, is announcing the reign and rule of his son, the reign and the rule of Christ. And the promise is that under his rule, it will be like living in the light of the morning dawn. It'll be like the gentle rain that falls and brings life out of the earth. And remember that as Jesus, in his own teaching ministry, as he was speaking of the kingdom of God, as he was speaking of who he was, he used this very imagery about himself. I am light, I am water. Remember that. John chapter 8. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Remember what Zacharias said about his son. You will prepare the way for the one who will be like the morning dawn, the light of the world. And then listen to what Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Whoever follows me, whoever responds to my call to come to me, whoever hears my word, and following means obeying. Whoever hears my word and obeys my word, he will walk in the light of life. Jesus in John 6 says that my words are life. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. My words are like the rain that falls on the earth and brings, causes the grass to sprout. Remember what Jesus said on the last day of the great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. He stood up and said, whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. But then he says, for as the scripture says, Out of the belly of believers will flow streams of living water. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of your heart, from you will flow streams of living water. Now the implication is this. As we submit to the word of Christ, as we follow him, as we walk in his light, as we know and receive his life, we will be ministers of that very light and life to others, to those who are around us. We will be like the one who rules justly in the fear of God. We will be like the morning dawn. We will be like the water that comes down and nourishes. But Jesus says, if you follow me, if you hear my word and obey. I want us to consider the the significance of hearing and obeying as it relates to the fear of God. And kids, I know you're listening for this. The fear of God. God, through David, has said, the one who rules justly, ruling in the fear of God. What does that mean? 
living, ruling in the fear of God. Well, David, when he became king, would have learned the law. He would have carried the law with him. And we know this, David, of all the kings, he delighted in the law of God. He meditated on it day and night. He says, I can't sleep at night because I can't put my Bible down. He meditated on the law of God. Psalm, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, he delighted in it. He rejoiced in it. He knew the law of God. He knew the book of Deuteronomy. And listen to what Deuteronomy 31 says. Now, there are many verses in Deuteronomy which say something similar to this. But at the end of Deuteronomy 31, Moses is giving his last word, his final words of instruction. And here he addresses the priests. And this is what he says to the Levites. This is going to be part of the life of Israel. Assemble the people. This is going to be basic to life in in, in the land. You will assemble. You'll come together. You'll congregate. Assemble the people. Who's there? Men, women, and little ones. Well, that's what we have here this morning. We've assembled. We've got men, women, and little ones. And the sojourner within your towns, that they may fear. That is the purpose, the first reason why, why we gather, that we may fear. Think about that. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings, that we may fear. That they may fear and learn, that, sorry, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn the fear, learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you're going across the Jordan to possess. Now Moses is saying, to the, saying this to the priests. There needs to be the regular assembly of God's people, men and women and little ones there, And they will hear the word of God, that they may learn to fear the Lord, that they may learn the fear of God, obeying all the words that I have given you. So notice you've got hearing, fearing, obeying. Fearing is right in the middle. And what Moses is saying is the fear of God is to hear and obey the word of God. As you hear the word of God, as you obey the word of God, you learn the fear of God. So kids, you're listening for what I say about the fear of God. Well, this is what God's word says about the fear of God. It's hearing his word and keeping, obeying his word. But it's not just that. As we read through the Old Testament and we look for references to the fear of God, usually the emphasis is on hearing his word, obeying his word. That's the fear of God. David is saying, when you've got rulers who hear the word of God, submit to it and obey it, that's going to be a place where there's light and there's life. But listen to what David says in Psalm 130. This is a psalm of ascents, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But then the next verse. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now think about what the psalmist has said there. With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. We learn the fear of God when we know his forgiveness. Yes, when we hear his word and when we obey his word, we're learning the fear of God, but it's not just that. 
It's also when we know his forgiveness, when we know his love and his kindness. And we know that forgiveness, we know that love, we know that kindness when we know his son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, we don't learn the fear of God unless we know the son of God. Unless we know his saving work on the cross, he died for our sins. In him there is the forgiveness of sins. And that's why, yes, every Sunday as we come to learn the fear of God, as we assemble together, we're hearing the word of God, yes, but we're also hearing that word of grace. That's why we come to the Lord's table. With him there's forgiveness that we may fear him. And as we come to know his forgiveness and as we walk and and stand firm in his grace, in his forgiving love, we will grow in the fear of God. And that means that the fear of God is not a, a, a kind of trembling, sort of recoiling, cowering, you know, it doesn't push us back. Now think about this, kids. When you're scared, you kind of, you kind of, you want to retreat, you want to run away. Well, the fear of God is the opposite. The fear of God draws us towards God. The more we hear his voice, the more we obey him and follow him, the more we are drawn to him, the more we know him, the more we want to continue to hear his word and follow him. And as we know his forgiving love, as we know his mercy and grace, we are drawn towards him. And our lives increasingly become lives that are characterized by by humble adoration and worship. That's the fear of God. The fear of God draws us towards God. It doesn't turn us away from God. So it's very different from what we think of as fear, as the opposite effect. And as I was thinking about this, the, the fear of God and the way in which it draws us towards him, I was reminded of the various accounts, actually, in, in C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you have read those books. It's wonderful how he describes the feeling of the children when they're with Aslan, when they see him. And there's usually this combination of... of uh, You know, they're scared, they're afraid, they're not sure, and yet they want to get closer. They want to be with him. It really captures what the fear of God is. And there's a wonderful moment in in his first book, The Magician's Nephew, where the main character, Diggory, he's caused all kinds of problems for Narnia. There's a a, a wonderful description of the creation of Narnia, Aslan the lion who represents Christ. He sings it all into existence, but no sooner does that happen than Diggory brings the wicked witch into Narnia and everything goes wrong. And so Aslan's got to deal with that. And that's kind of setting things up for the future books. But there's a council to talk about what's gone on. And Diggory knows that he's the one that's caused this. You know, it kind of represents Adam in that sense. But back home in his world, his mother is dying. And he can't help but think of his mother dying. And so he's at this council with various people in Narnia. And his concern is for his mother. And he finds, when he gets off his, he- uh, off his horse to gather at this council, that he's right beside Aslan. He didn't expect that. And this is what Lewis says about his, you know, immediately seeing Aslan there. He says this, Aslan was bigger and more beautiful and more brightly golden and more terrible than he had thought. He dared not look at his eyes. 
And then he very kind of, you know, in a cowering way says, can, can you help my mom? Aslan doesn't respond right away. He says, all right, we need to deal with what's wrong in Narnia. And there's, there's a long conversation with various other people. But then it comes back to Diggory. And Diggory again asks Aslan, and this time there are tears in his eyes. And with tears in his eyes, he looks to Aslan and he says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in despair, he looked up at his face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything else in the whole world, for the tawny face was bent down near his own, and great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own, that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. That's a wonderful picture. The fear of God, it draws us towards him, and it causes us to look up into his face. And we find, actually, he's come down to see us, to meet us, and we look in his eyes, and we find that as, as Russ prayed for us this morning, as we heard in Hebrews 4, he knows our suffering. He knows our pain. And we learn the fear of the Lord as we know that love that forgiving, gracious love, that compassionate love that he has for us. Charles Spurgeon says this about the fear of God. None fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. It is grace which leads the way to a holy regard of God and fear of grieving him. So as, as we come before God in fear, we find that we're drawn to him, and we find that we want to seek his face, to look up into his face. And we see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's why Sunday by Sunday we come here in his name, and our eyes are fixed on him. And we know his presence with us. He's the good shepherd, and we listen to his voice. And we hear his voice. So those who live justly, those who rule justly, are those who rule and live in the fear of God. It's those who hear his word and obey it. And it's those who know his forgiving love, who know his forgiveness. Now, what God is revealing to us through David is this. If in society your rulers... Rule in the fear of God. They hear his word. They submit to it. And they know his forgiving love. Then they will be like the light of the dawn. The sunshine of the morning. They will be like rain that comes down and waters the earth. Now we look out at the society around us. Look out at the city of Toronto. Look at the province of Ontario. Look at Canada. Look at the Western world. Compare that with what God has revealed here to David. We don't have rulers who rule justly in the fear of God. 
And notice the consequence. It's the opposite of what God promises here. It's not light, it's darkness. There's no truth. There's no justice. There's no morality. There's no light. And not just darkness, there's no life. It's death. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no forgiveness. The result is a society which is plagued with anxiety, with fear. That was the case before March. It was. Many people were anxious before March. We're all the more anxious now. But notice that we live under rulers who don't rule justly in the fear of God. And so what's promoted is fear and anxiety. We live in darkness. We live in the shadow of death. Now, remember what Isaiah has said about the rule of Christ. He will judge them with the rod of his mouth. He will destroy them with the breath of his mouth. And what David has said here, such rulers, such people are like thorns. They're like thorns. They're weeds. You know, I think of the weeds that were on my front yard. And usually, think of the dandelion, for example. I know you've got the long stalk and the, the yellow flower, and then it gets you know, all kind of floaty and you can blow it. But underneath that, its leaves spread out. You know, look at a dandelion weed. The leaves spread out all around it, and they cover the earth. And they prevent any light from getting to the grass. They prevent water from getting to the grass. And when you pull up a, a big dandelion, right around it, it's nothing. There's no grass. Darkness and death. That's what weeds bring. That's what unjust rulers bring. But what David says is such thorns will be uprooted. Such thorns will be cast into the fire. Jesus himself said so. Matthew 13, 41 to 42. The words of Jesus. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our Lord will set things right. And our Lord will deal with the unjust rulers. But notice what he says to us in the meantime. These are thorny weeds. You can't just grab them by the hand. That's a word to us. We can't just grab them by the hand. We don't just respond to unjust rulers in our own wisdom and strength. But David does say, we arm ourselves with iron and the shaft of the spear. And this is why the following passage deals with and reports David's mighty men, these warriors, armed with iron and the shaft of the spear. And that's what we'll consider next week. It's not that we just say, well, we're in the darkness now and hopefully we're okay. No, we do respond to the weeds. And we are armed with iron and the shaft of the spear. We'll look at that next week. But in the meantime, even in the midst of the darkness, we know who our king is. We know who the ruler is. It's Christ, the one who rules justly, the one who rules in the fear of God. And as we submit to his rule, we walk in his light. We walk in his life. He's our light. He's our life. And as we walk in that light and that life, we ourselves radiate with his light. 
We ourselves become ministers of his life. And that's why David can say in verse 5, and this is his response to the oracle, to the word that God has given him. He says, for does not my house so stand with God? That's a dis- what, what we've just heard there. He says, is that not my house with God? Now, it's a question. He wants us to think about that. On the one hand, no, it doesn't. And we know that. We've just spent the last few weeks in 2 Samuel, starting, well, going all the way back to chapter 11. We know his house does not look like that. It was not the morning light. It was not the water that brings life. We know that. His house was crumbling. But, he says, for does not my house stand so, not on my own, but with God. And yes, it does with God. It does with God. And so it is for us too. You know, are we going to build our house and stand on our own and think, hey, I'm going to rule justly and look at this? No. But with God, yes. And that's why David goes on to say, for this reason, he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. And as we look out at the darkness around us, and as we look out at the world which is living under the shadow of death around us, David reminds us here that God has made with us an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. And we are part of that covenant by faith in Christ. We're in that covenant. We know the forgiveness of sins. We hear the word of God. We submit to the word of God. We, we obey the word of God. We're his people. He sent us his spirit. He's building his church. Even at a time like this, let's remember the words of Jesus. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. He will build it. He is building it. And think of what we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be hallowed and recognized. And outside of the gatherings of God's people, we don't see his name hallowed and recognized. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the Lord Jesus is establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He is drawing people in who look to his father and give honor and glory to the name of his father. That's happening. And so David, at the end of his life, he remembers the covenant. He remembers God's word. I will do it. I'm doing it. It may not always be obvious to you. There are times where, you know, the grass seed is under the soil. Doesn't look like anything's happening. Doesn't look like the kingdom of God is present and active there. It is. It is. In time, we will see. We will see the life. We will see the fruit. And so David asks another question. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, he will. He will. And he knows that because he knows God's word. He knows God's promise to him. And he says there, my desire. Now, is this his desire for worldly wealth and glory and success? No, of course not. His desire is defined. It's oriented by the covenant. It's oriented towards the kingdom. That's his desire. Will he not cause that to prosper? Of course he will. And what is expressed here is, is the motivation, the agenda, the desire of his prayers. He's crying out. He's praying. Will God answer? Yes, he will. He will. And I want to leave us with that this morning. 
Next week, yes, we'll consider what it means to be armed with iron in the spear. But this week, David says, will God prosper my desire? Will he answer my prayer? Will his kingdom come? Will his name be hallowed? Will his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Will he build his church? Will he keep and preserve his people? Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. David knows that. He knows God's promises and God's word. And it's a reminder to us that this should be our desire and we should express that desire in prayer. And it means, you know, very concretely and specifically that we are praying for the rulers in our society. Think of those in leadership, whether it's in, in government, politics, whether it's in healthcare, medicine, whether it's in education, academia, whether it's in the law courts, whether it's in business and commerce, whether it's in the arts. As we look out at the landscape of Canada today, we see many, if not most, of the leaders, the rulers, in those areas of our society are not ruling justly in the fear of God. David has said here, will not God cause to prosper our desire? Well, our desire is that those in those positions of, of leadership would rule justly in the fear of God. That the shadow of death would be, would be lifted, that the light of Christ would dawn and shine brightly. That's our prayer. And we need, need to be praying specifically. You know, find out who's the president of the University of Toronto. Start praying for him by name. Pray that he will come to know the forgiving love of Christ. And so learn to fear him. That he will hear and submit to the word of God. Be praying for the chief medical officers of health. Be praying for our mayor, for our premier, for our prime minister. Be praying for chief justices. Be praying for those in business. CEOs. That they would rule justly in the fear of God. Pray for them by name and pray for them with confidence. Why? Because he has made with us an everlasting covenant. It is ordered in all things and secure. In other words, God, God has said, I will answer that prayer. Pray it. And I fear that we as, as his people don't pray that with sufficient faith if we pray it at all. Let's commit to that. Let's pray for that. So this oracle sets the agenda for prayer our prayer. Let's pray. So David here in his final words gives us an oracle from the Spirit, an oracle for God. He promises that those who rule justly in the fear of God, those who live justly in the fear of God, will be like light shining through the darkness, will be like water that brings forth life. And so it is for us. Whatever, wherever God has placed you in your life, some of you do have positions of leadership, Lead justly in the fear of God. But even if you're 10 years old, you rule over your own life. Rule over your own life justly in the fear of God. Know the light and the life of that life. And now we come to the Lord's Supper and remember that this is a covenant meal. And in this meal, we know the everlasting covenant. It's ordered in all things. It's secure. We know the forgiving love of God. And we come to this meal submitting to his word, renewing our commitment to follow him, to walk in the fear of God. And we come to this meal with a renewed confidence 
in, in his promises to go out into the world as those who live justly, who live in the fear of God, and so shine with the light of Christ and are ministers of the life of Christ. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.